1: Redraft Fantasy Football Leagues. That's what we're talking about today in Sealing Banana's and Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bankretch.substack.com. Tons of new stuff there for you guys. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his fantastic work at Rotoviz, where he is doing tons of stuff, where the Rotoviz crew is doing tons of stuff. Make sure you're subscribed there as well. And Sean, I guess we could do a quick recap of the first round from our last show. We talked through having the same five players in our top five for 2023 redraft leagues. Slightly different order. You went Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Jonathan Taylor, Kyle Pitts, and McCaffrey. I started with McCaffrey again in 2023. Then went Jonathan Taylor, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. A little flip there on Chase and Jefferson from where you had them. And Pitts at five. Again, we are doing tight and premium for our scoring for this exercise. The rest of your first round was DeAndre Swift, Cooper Cup, Brees Hall, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, CeeDee Lamb, and Saquon Barkley. The rest of my first round was Javante Williams, Cooper Cup, Saquon Barkley, Brees Hall, DeAndre Swift, CeeDee Lamb, and A.J. Brown. The one player from your first round that did not make it into my first round was Travis Etienne. The one from my first round that didn't make it into yours was A.J. Brown. Talked a little bit about ETN on the last show. Didn't really get a chance to talk about Brown, but we'll come, we'll, we'll have both those guys coming up in our second rounds here. That was a recap of the last show. Listen to our whole explanation of all of that uh, on the other show. But today we're going to start at the 201 and talk through what we think the second round of the 2023 redraft landscape will be.
2: And in some ways, this gets to be even a little bit trickier and or more controversial, because in the second round, if you start to leave out the big names, then you're sort of planting the flag on on what you think these guys actually are going to do in twenty twenty two. So we'll see who falls perhaps entirely from the first round into the third. I mean, a, a player who lands in the third round of the twenty twenty three draft is still obviously a very good player. But, if you have been a consistent first round pick for a while and don't make this exercise, that's, that's at least actual Intel in terms of what you and I think are going to happen. It was kind of interesting, kind of fun to go through the first round and the first five picks and see that when we have done our live draft shows and we have the one Oh four, I've been fighting for Jamar chase and you've been fighting for Justin Jefferson and then we did our 2023 projection we had them flipped so i like that part of it it is one of the reasons why it can be fun to go through this and and look a year ahead we talked in the first episode of of why we think this exercise is valuable then i know we want to get to the players so let's just jump right in here you you still don't have travis Etienne, so you you are missing a guy i do (laughs) don't have AJ Brown in the first couple of picks here, but we both have Mark Andrews as the 201. I I was kind of looking to push Andrews further down, but in tight end premium, it's just almost impossible. Again, the advantage of those high scoring tight ends is so severe. One of the things I enjoyed about our projection show and working through that with you was your discussion of how you think that the pass volume will basically be in the middle, right? It's not going to be either the 2021 season, which was very pass heavy or the 2019 and 2020 seasons that were extraordinarily run heavy, but almost either way, this passing game is going to be so concentrated between Andrews and Rashad Bateman that the target volume for Andrews will be there. I mean, his efficiency numbers, you know you can always have a bad season you can get dinged up a little bit and don't have the explosiveness and then you know you become a little bit more of a decoy maybe you don't run after the catch as well but barring something like that i mean when mark andrews is targeted he's going to be efficient it's just almost impossible to push him below the 201
1: yeah i mean you you describe the ways that players can have down seasons statistically and yet over his four years his targets per run have been great every year his yards per target have been great every year his touchdown rate has been above average every year. He's good at football. (laughs) The other element with the passing rate that you mentioned is the routes, right? And he not only saw more routes last year because of increased pass volume, but because his percentage of dropbacks that he was getting out into routes was way higher. He had always been sort of a part-time guy in that regard, and he was running routes on almost every play. They have restocked the tight end position a little bit. Isaiah likely looking really good in the first preseason game. It's possible that he's not running quite as high of a route share this year per drop back, that they cut that back a little, that last year was more of a necessity thing, and they are back to a little bit more of a rotation. But he's going to keep some of those gains. I don't think we see him fall all the way back to where he was in his first couple of seasons. And so even if their pass volume comes back, his routes don't go back to where they were in his first, second, or third year, they come back some, but they, you know, to put numbers on this, his career high was 350 through his first three years. He was up over 600 last year. I'm, I'm guessing he's in the 500 to 550 range, either by the team passing less or a little bit lower of a route rate in terms of the the percentage of dropbacks, but well above still the 350 that was his career high earlier. And at his efficiency, I mean, he's going to have a good year. I'm right there with you that that he's in tight and premium sort of impossible to drop, you know, outside the first 20 picks, certainly. And and we both have him here at 13. The next name at 202 is interesting, because I have a guy that you have fallen completely out of your list. You have a guy that listeners will not be surprised to see in, in J.K. Dobbins, and I have him at 205. So we both have Dobbins Again, this is this feels like the DeAndre Swift from last year where I very openly said I was kind of just tailing the guy that you've been excited about all offseason in this fourth, fifth-round range being a first- or second-round pick the next year. You've talked a lot about Dobbins. Do you, do you want to defend this 202 even more? I, me having been the 205, I'll, I'll just say is because I knew Sean would have him even higher.
2: No, I mean, I think that, that this is a good spot for him. I think because he's not going to be a guy – who catches 80 passes or has a receiving ep in that you know 8.0 range this is almost the ceiling in terms of where he can go i mean you would need to have a derrick henry type of year or kind of the campaign that i hinted at uh you know where he is like a jamal charles or barry sanders with lamar jackson jk dobbins was extraordinary as a rookie he probably isn't going to be at that same level at least the first half of the season. I mean, they're hoping he's ready for week one. He's kind of practicing off to the side. It sounds like he could get in a little bit more. You know, maybe by the time the show releases, he'll be doing a little bit more of that. The second half of the season, he should look really, really good. And that, I think, will lead into 2023. The is just kind of interesting. They don't have a clear-cut situation behind him, which I think could help him some if Gus Edwards were healthy and really good, you know, maybe you actually would split it, you know, 55 45. And then not only do you not catch passes, but you're not getting the overall workload that maybe you need. If Mike Davis were more talented, the interesting thing about the preseason game, and I've been kind of, you know, trying to ignore this because, you know, I fall in love with justice Hill every year and then it is completely and totally irrelevant, but he looked good in the preseason. I mean, if their next best player at the running back position is basically J.K. Dobbins, but, you know, smaller and not quite as talented, then again, I think, I think that actually favors J.K. Dobbins, right? So, especially the second half of 2022, I think will go well, and I have him one spot ahead of Austin Eckler, which obviously is suggesting that Eckler will be good because you don't stay at the 203 if you're not still good, but that as the season goes along, I think that they're going to have some volume going to some other backs.
1: Yeah, and I probably should have had Eckler in my first two rounds, but I dropped him out entirely. He's already 27. What's that? You're going with the full fade here. I'm going with the full fade. He's already 27 back in May. Not necessarily a big back very efficient last year with the 20 touchdowns particularly being the the big mark of efficiency i think if we're talking about a 28 year old austin eckler coming off a year that doesn't look like this 2021 maybe it's still a very good year but you know 2021 he catches 70 balls he has 1500 yards he has 20 touchdowns you know say it's a 1300 yard year say he catches you know 60 or 70 balls but not as dominant i guess in the receiving game say his touchdowns fall to 12 or 13. I think it's pretty easy to, to say that he would not necessarily be a second round pick. Maybe he would. Maybe that was a little bit unfair on my part. But I I dropped Eckler completely out. Again, some of that is related to age. I was going to say he might look a little bit like Aaron Jones does this year at, at age 28 if he has another good year like that. And Jones is going in the second round. So, so maybe I'm a little bit too firm uh, on what his drop will be. But you also dropped him into the second round
2: i did and in the first show we we mentioned that alvin Kamara and dalvin cook how they perform actually could affect some of the older backs you mentioning aaron jones i think it's interesting because how he performs could influence what drafters do with austin eckler who not this year but next year could be in a similar circumstance one of the things that you've priced in probably more accurately than i have is the potential for them to actually add a back that matters next year. Whereas one of the things that I'm thinking by moving him to two Oh three is that it's almost, I mean, it's going to be difficult for him to have a healthy season that doesn't kind of still put him in this range. Kind of the the fall that we're seeing from cook and Camara. Eckler is kind of in that position to have that type of fall next year. I think it would be different if Isaiah Spiller had been, you know, one of the, players who was generating buzz in camp but he kind of falls in that 25% where you know it, it, it's everybody either looks fantastic or terrible right now people are not happy with where Spiller is if he's not going to be the backup then I mean Eckler's going to touch the ball a ton so I think the production will be there to keep drafters excited but I mean he's already said he doesn't want to touch it as much when you're talking about 2023 like, they they almost have to come up with some plan to make that a committee
1: and that was yeah that's the other thing I didn't mention but definitely a consideration for me that I think they will whether Spiller is good this year at some point or they will add a back that is because he'll be 28 at that point and we'll be looking at Eckler as a little bit more of a rotational back but yeah to your, your point is exactly what I was, was thinking with with Aaron Jones where you know if he has an A.J. Dillon there people are still treating Aaron Jones and if this Chargers offense looks as good as the Packers do people are still treating Aaron Jones as a second rounder this year. That could very well be the case next year. So again, not super firm on my decision to drop Eckler all the way out. But part of it, as you noted, is something that doesn't necessarily affect his 2022, but could as 2023 is what happens in the offseason at if their they're, if they're running back position behind him. So that's your first three picks of the second round. Andrews, Dobbins, Eckler. Mine were Andrews, Travis, Kelsey. That's the player you dropped out. And then Travis Etienne. Who we talked about a little bit on the last show. You had at the 110. I have at the 202. I can definitely see him being a first rounder next year. I guess I'm a little, little concerned right now with him, but I'll probably come back around. It's the exact type of profile we want to be targeting. Talk a little bit about Kelsey. I guess I mean, my I've made the argument recently that he had the stinger last year. Even with that, his regular season numbers. Played 16 games. They were very, they're way clear of every other tight end not named Mark Andrews. It was about 30 points shy of Andrews, and I think it's like 50 or 60 points ahead of everyone else. If you look at points per game, he was within a point of Mark Andrews. And to me, 2021 was a, a Mark Andrews peak, right? In terms of routes, in terms of everything, he was two points per game or more higher than the tight end three and every other tight end at the position, even as he wasn't as productive, Kelsey, during the regular season. He went on to be very productive in the playoffs, average basically 100 yards per game. He had 299 yards over three games, average nine targets per game, 7.7 7 catches, scored three touchdowns. When he was healthier, didn't you know that stinger had kind of worn off? He could certainly still fall off this year, though. He's 33. My guess is we see another really good Travis Kelsey season. I still have him as my tight end one. You've seemed a little bit more concerned. Is that really what it is if if we don't see that season that it's going to be tough for drafters at age 34 to be taking him this high?
2: Yeah, I think once you get into your mid-30s, you've had to just absolutely annihilate the previous season to maintain those levels. Now, with Titan being so shallow, it could be a little bit different. And also, when you have established such a long stretch of dominance, it's not like he's popped out for, you know, like you mentioned, a great mark andrews type of season he's been the best of the best for a long time that may give him a little bit more room to work with in terms of how good this year would have to be to maintain that level i do still think that he's a good pick at the one 2 turn in tight end premium this year obviously you're not going to get him if that's where you're targeting him because he is a little bit more expensive than that the other thing i think and i did believe this was evident even just in the the fleeting moments that the first team played in the first preseason game is that i just think the chiefs are much deeper and better at wide receiver than they've been at any point i mean you're looking at guys like demarcus robinson already being released i mean byron pringle is not somebody who you know makes any kind of contribution josh gordon has again been completely invisible in camp but juju smith schuster marquez valdez scantling I mean, McColl Hardman before this most recent groin injury had actually been performing okay, which is something I was pretty skeptical about. And then you have Sky Moore coming in there and looking like he can get open anywhere. That creates a lot of risk for Kelsey because to separate the way he does, you have to have that elite talent level. You need to have the efficiency that comes with playing with a great quarterback, but you need to have a huge target share, that elite target volume. I just don't think it can be the same if they actually have a bunch of good receivers. They've also addressed some of these issues that they have at running back where if pacheco is, is who they seem to think he is if mckinnon can stay healthy for a stretch they've got multiple guys who can come in there it doesn't rest on you know whether or not clyde edwards helaire is good which i mean it just it simply doesn't look like he's good right so having that depth really helps them now i think that in some ways this argument was maybe easier to make 72 hours ago before Hardman has a groin injury in practice before Juju misses a couple of days with knee soreness, which is the very last thing you ever want to hear with him Uh, before McKinnon, you know, misses a day of practice again, I think with, you know, more or less minor soreness, but it's a reminder that McKinnon and Smith Schuster may not be able to maintain the level of performance that they can show in spurts. They just no longer have the same body. But Juju is the guy who was dominating Chiefs camp. I mean, if you have Juju Smith-Schuster with Patrick Mahomes, uh, I don't know that the gap between a healthy Smith-Schuster and Tyreek Hill is even that great. But then you add in all of these other guys, and again, Sky Moore looks like you know once he finally and firmly climbs into the starting role, it's just going to be dominant. So I think that when you consider the context for the Chiefs, and what a player in their mid thirties has to do to justify a pick
1: in the first two rounds. I think it's going to be a challenge. This is a big, pretty big disagreement for us because I see that everything you just described as a positive for Kelsey, I see it completely different. I don't think, think Marcus Feldman's can't be. What's that?
2: You think that these guys, I mean, so you're not scared about these guys challenging him for target, think. but you think that they could actually help the offense in a way that benefits even more.
1: Yeah, let me, let me lay out sort of the favorable thing. I don't think Marcus Valdez-Cantling is a high-volume player. He never has been. His career high is five targets per game. I think he's good, a good ancillary receiver. You mentioned all these things about Juju that I do agree with, that he can be good in spurts, but he's not going to necessarily be reliable. And I'm concerned about his body and where he's at at this point. This guy more, I think, is going to be fantastic, especially late. But it might take a little bit of time. He's a rookie. But I see this depth as essentially – making it more difficult on defenses to key on Kelsey, where in the past they've been trying to stop Kelsey and Hill and that's it. Basically they're letting Byron Pringle run free half the time and Kelsey's still productive and has been still productive in that setup. But now he has, I think more depth to draw away from him in a way that teams have to be more concerned about the third and fourth weapon than they ever were. And yet he also gets the benefit of losing the single biggest and best target earner that he was playing with that one other player, that's a huge downgrade to not have Tyreek Hill. I think he's the clear one and everyone else is behind him, but also providing more cover than he's ever had. And again, last year's numbers, I think, are basically good enough to be the arguably to be the tight end one this year, depending on whether Pitts comes, comes way up, because I think Andrews comes down this year, certainly from last year's numbers for a lot of the reasons we've discussed. And I don't think his regular season numbers were a good reflection of how good he was for the full season. Again, when you talk about him being a little bit banged up for a stretch in the middle of the year, having a couple, I think he had three games where he had 27 yards exactly right in that stretch. I mean, he had a couple of these poor games and you go into the playoffs, he has three consistent, strong games. And if he's still that guy, I think he has a better year in 2022 than he had in 2021 in the regular season, or there's a a really pretty easy path to that, frankly more targets more more production as well if he's healthier right but the age is an issue and, and and everything you described is a concern but i i see it almost the exact opposite way all of the the changes in the offense in, in terms of how it impacts Kelsey he's my clear 106 and tight end premium so that is a that, that is a definite disagreement that we have you talked about him as a one two turn guy you have your little your little smile there where you like this disagreement. No, I, yeah, you always I, you always love when uh when we have these little disagreements
2: i do i do and i hope you're right man that'd be so awesome for the chiefs and for kelsey that'd be really really cool jalen waddle then he
1: is the next guy yeah i got him at 204 you have him at 205 i'll let you talk about him you have him ranked very high in your redraft ranks i noticed I'm. Very optimistic about him. We've talked about the potential for him to outscore Tyreek. I'm actually a touch higher than you because I think if he goes and does that, we both drop Tyreek out of our first two rounds. I think we're both sort of saying that's what happens here is that Jalen Waddle is either as good as or better than Tyreek in a way that drafters are looking at it next year as if Waddle is the better bet at a younger age. I do have him one spot higher than you. That's in part because you're incredibly high on Drake London here at 204. We talked about him a little in the first show and, and you gave a lot of praise for him there. Anyone who listened to the first show, and I assume most have will know why you were so high on him. He did not make my top 24, but I don't think me being at 204 on Waddle and you being at 205 on, on, on Waddle is uh, reflective of, any, of anything other than you being very high on London there. But what is the excitement about Waddle? And, and I mean, I feel like he could be even higher than this. He could. And you look at what he did last season with
2: 133 targets, but only at 7.5 yards down the field. Now, I mean, there's going to be an element where perhaps it's easier to demand those targets if, if you're barely having to run across the line of scrimmage to get open. But the combination of things that they can do with him, the fact that their offense projects to be much more dynamic this year. There's a little bit of a counterbalancing effect where obviously you have Tyreek Hill come in. If he weren't there, then Jalen Waddle will be going mid two this year, right? But the similar thing that we talked about in terms of Pitts and London and a little bit, the different ways we're looking at Travis Kelsey, but I think that what you explained for Travis Kelsey could also, you know, in some ways apply here where one of the concerns that you would have for a second year breakout for someone like Waddle, who was so good as a rookie and has that elite speed and having an element of your game that a defense is going to have so much trouble taking away, regardless of what they do, because it's intrinsic to you and your physical profile for Tyree Hill to be the guy that the defense in many ways is going to have to key on this next season. And for it looking like they may really de-emphasize Mike Kosicki. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, certainly write that in stone, but there, there have been some very discouraging reports and, and kind of whispers on that. We could be looking at this offense almost exclusively being Hill and Waddle, especially if, if Waddle is not the defensive focal point, but I think that could flip during the course of the season. I think he could be that good, but we're going to see the depth of target jump with him. We're going to see the potential for big plays. The, the upside is just so tantalizing when you think about those two guys together they've both been very positive in the media about tua i think the biggest thing to take away from that is just that they're good teammates and that they're enthusiastic about this season you know obviously they're not the the sources that you should be looking to as to whether or not you draft him in fantasy but i think this offense can work and i think it's going to be more centered around these two guys, even in the market thinks, and the market is is relatively optimistic. Obviously we're getting Hill in late two and Waddle in late three, even a mild secondary breakout this season. And I think it'll be hard for drafters to ignore Waddle in the early second next year.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line
1: yep that is well put did you want to add anything on london from you know kind of building off what we talked about last show
2: just that he looks like the guy right and i think that that injury is very helpful from a fantasy perspective, because I do think that his ADP was going to jump. And for him to have that one play and then be out and not be able to show what he's capable of, it helps maintain a price that gives you plenty of room to outperform this season. I mean, as excited as you and I are for rookies and for players with wide ranges of outcome you still have to be getting the right price on it. I mean, if it's a wide range, but you're paying for the top end of it, then you, you lose in your fantasy drafts. So I, I think it's bad for him. It's bad for the Falcons. It may be good for fantasy managers. I think that he is separating from the rest of this rookie group. When you look at their practice reports and the context, now you say, well, the context in, in Atlanta's passing offense may not be that good, but it's, I think starting to be more difficult to be enthusiastic about Garrett Wilson with the jets. It looks like Jamison Williams, it may not play till November. Chris Olave actually has a lot of target competition and his quarterback is not healthy. Traylon Burks, uh, just before we recorded this, I was seeing all these highlights of him make an extraordinary catch in a dual practice, but then evidently immediately getting hurt. (laughs) And so that kind of, you know, takes away the enthusiasm you would have from that really the rookie receivers who are outperforming are the late guys the george pickens the sky Moores, the jalen tolberts the romeo dubs romeo dubs and and i think those guys will have good seasons right but drake london looks like the guy who will have everything going for him in terms of production draft ped- pedigree talent a good situation in, in 2023. I think it's going to be hard for him not to be up
1: there. Maybe this is yeah. enthusiastic, no. but I do think I, he's going I, to you've be convinced me that I was wrong to not have him in the top 24. I've been in my wide receiver two years over at stealing signals. I had been keeping him near the top of a tier that I was keeping Burks and sky and Garrett Wilson at the bottom of, cause I was telling myself they're all in the same tier. And before this show uh, either earlier today or yesterday or just very recently i did finally it was it was like i was kind of forcing that i did finally move london into the higher tier where he's now in a group in my tiers you know coming coming off the board in my ranks right after juju who we just talked about right after elijah moore and and the the second year receivers that tend to go higher i i feel the same way that he is separating from the other rookies and and finally was able to kind of Realize that I was feeling that and do that in my tears. But I, I'm right there with you. And, and I think I I would say that I wish that I had him in my, my top 24 after that that case. I think he made a strong case. So your top five of the second round, Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, Austin Eckler, Drake London, and Jalen Waddle. Mine was Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Travis Etienne, who you had at 110, Jalen Waddle, and JK Dobbins at 205 for me, who again we talked about when we discussed at the 202 for you. The guy who we have not seen in your second round yet was my 112, A.J. Brown. I would like to speak to the manager. Three straight seasons of a yards per out run over 2.5. Still the wide receiver for the last I checked in Dynasty Leagues. Everyone acknowledges that A.J. Brown is an elite talent. It's going into a new situation where I think they're actually going to be a low-key, more pass-heavy team than people expect. I know you're very high on Devonta Smith. You joked on ship chasing last week that Devonta Smith is the receiver we need. I love Devonta Smith's price. I've drafted him a lot, actually more than AJ Brown, just simply because he falls in this area of drafts where it's so easy to click on Devonta Smith. AJ Brown is a superstar and is going to look like it. And he's going to, and he's going to get to actually run more routes. He has never run more than 406 routes. I think it is in his career through a mix of injuries and also some weird stuff Tennessee would do in situational spots when they would be so run heavy with Derrick Henry in the second halves of games. I think if he stays healthy all year, he's going to be closer to a hundred percent route guy in in every game. And his, his routes numbers are just going to explode this year. And similar to what we saw from Mark Andrews last year, you already have this 2.5 yards per run every year of his career element to his profile. People are going to be like, why did we rank AJ Brown in the third round? at this time next year you do have him at 207 so you see him rising from where he's been going this year to next year why is he not in your first round this is probably a little bit
2: and i know i know that a lot of listeners are like why is sean trying to keep his enthusiasm in check um his whole deal is fun drafting and being optimistic but i mean You don't want to have 100% of A.J. Brown. You don't want to have 100% of Debo Samuel unless you figure out some excuses to knock them down. You could easily get to that point. I have Debo at the 206, Brown at the 207. I have so much enthusiasm for these two offenses. (laughs) I did write in my bold predictions that Trey Lance and Jalen Hurts were going to finish 1-2 in quarterback scoring. I loved seeing that first drive from the Eagles, although it did require a late hit out of bounds to keep it going on third down after they did not convert. Loved seeing that long connection from Lance to Danny Gray. Matt Spencer has been pushing him. He's one of our data gurus and and draft gurus. It looks like the 49ers have probably hit on a wide receiver that gives them even more talent which is both good for Lance and, and possibly a little bit bad for Samuel and Ayuk. Uh, almost the only case you can make for Kittle and Samuel and Ayuk at this point is that, and this is something we've talked about. You look at the, from week 11 on last year, all three of them put up all pro level numbers in terms of anything on a pro route basis. They're that good. I think this offense can be a little bit past heavier than people think, just like with the Eagles. And yet, even with all of that, because on both teams, you have the potential, not the potential, I mean, both these quarterbacks are going to run, and then so many other good players. I guess I, I just don't know how early drafters are really going to feel comfortable taking them when you have to hit on crazy efficiency numbers to pay off those prices and yet whatever level drafters are taking them at, I'm also going to be taking them at least that early to make sure I get my share because Debo Samuel and AJ Brown are the, I mean, there's a clear like top five, right? I don't, I mean, I don't even know if we put Cooper cup in there. We have to put Cooper cup in there. top six, right? You have Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase, Cooper cup, Devontae Adams, AJ Brown and Debo Samuel. I mean, those are the six superstars. I mean, <laughs> you can only push him down so low you're arguing for keeping them well specifically aj brown higher than i am
1: yeah and i don't have Debo in my top two rounds he was one i considered i i think your comparison of the 49ers and eagles offenses is very on point they, i mean they're incredibly similar we can sit here and draw all the comparisons we want when we talked about trey lance and my excitement for him a couple of months ago i talked very specifically about Jalen Hertz's rushing profile in terms of design runs and scrambles and how it could look a lot like that. You have A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel as the wide receiver one. You have Devonta Smith and Brandon Ayuk as the wide receiver two. You have Dallas Goddard and George Kittle as efficient, good tight ends. You know, probably advantage Eagles at wide receiver two, advantage Niners at tight end, but very just similar all the way around in, in the way that these passing games and offenses look. Lower volume, three clear targets, etc. You mentioned Danny Gray. Can make the same case about Quez Watkins as a really good fourth weapon for the Eagles. The difference for me is that Debo was an eighth-round pick last year, that AJ Brown has been viewed as so dominant throughout his career. And that if the you know less optimistic outcome does happen for the Niners, that drafters will, will bail on Debo quicker, I think, even though he had two years to start his career, now three years of. Yards per out runs over two, but not quite as strong as A.J. Brown in that regard. Not up in the 2.5 range from my recollection. I'd have to look that back up, but I'm pretty confident that's the case with with Debo, that there's not as long-term of a buy-in probably as reflected in their dynasty prices. And then the other element is the thing that I talked about with Lance and why it's such a good year to be on him is that we do see the quarterbacks that run run less over multiple years. And part of the reason I'm excited about the Eagles is that people probably aren't baking in enough that Jalen Hurts has now started 20 plus games at the NFL level, which is a lot different than going into last year having started six or whatever it was. Lance is on is on the, you know, I've only started a couple games track where more of that becomes rushing production, I think. More of it becomes scrambles, the readouts that the offense is, you know, giving him on passing plays are going to be more limited. They're not putting additional layers typically until, or at least that's what the data shows. It's what it shows with different guys, you know, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, his scramble rates and design run rates have fallen over, over multiple years. Still very high for Jackson, not like a concern or anything, but I think there's this possibility that Hertz is ready to then take a little bit more of a step forward as a passer this year. And, And that offense is ready to be a little bit more pass heavy whereas the Niners are still in that first year starter element that the Eagles were in last year. And they're going to look more. So That's one way that I would slice the difference between the two. I could be wrong there, but that's why I think there's more upside and optimism for the Eagles passing game and for AJ Brown than for Debo. And why I think drafters might not buy into Debo as much if he does have that tough year volume wise, you know, being the multiple, multiple year thing. But I, I think it makes a lot of sense that you have them back to back and it makes less sense that I have AJ Brown at 112 and Debo not even in my second round, to be
2: honest, because they are so similar. <laughs> no, I think that I, some of those points are, are fantastic. And I, I love the way you are thinking about that. They're just kind of on a silly side note, not that this doesn't matter because obviously you're getting really cool information from beat reporters and other folks who are covering the teams. When I was looking at, at aj brown Devonte smith some of these guys jalen hurts you know trying to make sure that i was high enough without being silly I came across a practice report card essentially for jalen hurts that was giving like up down and neutral for every day of camp and i'm i'm you know before i look at the first one i'm like this is just going to be up, up 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 but it was like up down neutral up down neutral etc i'm like i just i want it to be up every single practice and and think that this eagles offense is going to be a passing juggernaut Devonte smith is back at practice now at least unless he's gotten injured between our recording and our release hopefully that helps hurts also however it works out you and i are going to have a lot of exposure to those three main players the two players that you have in the exact same stretch where I have Debo and AJ Brown are interesting because mostly this is exercise is looking at like how are the aging players going to fall? How are the young players going to rise? But you have two potential peak guys here in DJ Moore and Chris Godwin. Godwin, a player who has been already the wide receiver two, the, the, the overall wide receiver two. He's someone who is not quite as old as people may think because he came into the NFL really young. Obviously, DJ Moore, one of your favorites, and now has a competent NFL quarterback to go with the elite peripherals that he always brings to the table. Those peripherals, at least to an extent, are based on having an elite talent level to where he both gets open, catches the ball well, can run after the catch. Godwin going to play well enough in the second half. DJ Moore going to fight off you know, a mini comeback from Robbie Anderson. I mean, is this the, the true level for these guys and where they should be going? If kind of the weirdness that has surrounded these teams finally goes away.
1: Right. That's, that's the way I would describe it. I think you put that very well. It is really interesting. Just real quick to step back and look at our, our boards at 206 and 207. We have four different receivers two two different ones each. And the other, person doesn't have either of those receivers in their second round in, in the case of Debo and AJ Brown for you I have AJ Brown at 112 Debo out you don't have DJ Moore or Godwin in your in your top 24 here you do have DJ Moore as the first that you listed I don't know if you necessarily ranked them but the first that you listed in your near misses I think you put that very well. I mean, I think everyone knows how how I feel about DJ Moore. The targets per run were through the roof last year, the yards per target was really poor. One of the big elements that I noticed when I wrote up my offseason stealing signals for the Panthers was, even though DJ Moore's yards per target were really bad at 7.1, they were like the best on his team for anyone who had any real volume. Robbie Anderson, we know, was astronomically terrible in yards per target. Were his numbers in the negative? They may have been. (laughs) I think it was like 4.7 or something. Terrace Marshall had that rookie year that we're all just not even – He's he's dead to us, and, and for a lot of people, he was the number two receiver in the class last year. He was in the, like four point nine range. Tommy Tremble led the team in tight end targets. He was I think five point one yards per target. These guys that that got volume, their second and third receiver and their top tight end were all significantly worse than DJ Moore. It's not just that Sam Darnold was bad. Cam Newton was horrible when he took over for Darnold, and PJ Walker, who I've always loved, did not play well last year either. Their quarterback play was terrible so dj Moore's 7.1 yards per target can almost be looked at as a slight positive let's just let's just say it probably makes him a hall of famer uh in relation to what the other players in his passing game were able to do and the reason that's most notable though is he was very positive in yards per target and after the catch or after the target efficiency prior in his career all three seasons shows explosiveness in some of the rushing touches that he's got in his career And then last year, the yards per target fell off while the targets per run rose. We saw the breakout target earning season from D.J. Moore didn't have the efficiency to go with it. If you buy my case that that efficiency has to come back to to his mean, and I think his mean is above average, his rather than a league average, D.J. Moore's average because he's a yards after the catch player because of what his skill set is. And if you buy that, he can carry some of that targets per run game forward, even with Christian McCaffrey back in the offense, you're talking about the whole package. Now you're talking about him putting it all together in one season where he's earning the volume and he's efficient on the volume that DJ Moore season has been coming. We've talked about it a bunch. I think we see it this year. I think people buy in. He's a second round pick. And then with Godwin, it's exactly what you said. It's late season. I think he's going to be that good. I've, I've said kind of all off season. If he was fully healthy, I'd be taking him two rounds ahead of Mike Evans, at least I think. And, I think we're going to see Mike Evans fall off a little bit. You and I have talked some about that. Uh, we're still thinking that the people have anchored too much to his pre Julio Jones signing price and pre positive Chris Godwin news price, where he was going in the second round. He was the wide receiver of seven. He's now going typically in the third round. You've said he's probably a fourth rounder. I'm right with you. I don't think he should be going in the in the third round right now when Godwin looks like he might play week one. And even if he doesn't, the reports are good enough that he's going to play by week four or five, right? So you get a couple weeks of Mike Evans, but this idea that you're going to get half a season of Mike Evans dominating targets, it's just not going to come to fruition, especially now with Julio Jones in that offense. And as you wrote so well, Julio and Evans numbers almost indistinguishable last year on a per out basis, on a market share basis in those offenses they were in. Evans had more competition, but Julio's targets per run was actually higher than Evans and has been most years. It's a little older, but he's a really good player. He might be, essentially on par with Evans at this stage of their respective careers. But I think late season, we're going to see Godwin look like the clear number one for the future of Tampa. Tom Brady was somebody, you know, does he retire finally that I was, you know, I was considering what do we do here uh, with Godwin as a community? If Brady is not their quarterback anymore, but I do think we're going to be in a position where we're like Godwin's Tampa Bay's number one for the future. And I traded waddle
2: for Godwin Swift and Najee Harris also involved in that trade, obviously Swift coming my way. I don't regret that trade at all, even though the injury does obviously push it, I think, in the direction of the other manager. But I do think that Godwin is that good. I guess I might have some concerns about where 2023 goes for the Buccaneers. What 2022 goes, I mean, the Buccaneers are now the weirdest team in football, right? With Tom Brady not there. A lot of their receivers, it sounds like, are a little bit dinged up, but when they've been out there the practice reports for both russell gage and julio jones have been glowing in which case again it could very easily be wrong on this because in a high volume passing offense with a still elite quarterback and a player the level of mike evans it's very easy that he could pull off that second round price but i do think there's a lot of risk there for the reasons you mentioned our next our next two players are
1: identical Identical. yeah instead of the the two prior where neither of us had the other the other's players in their second round we have the next two in the exact same slot and those guys are t higgins and stefan diggs probably not huge
2: surprises there i mean this is i I, we like this price for t higgins i think that next year is going to be the same as this year for higgins both in terms of what his floor is what his upside is what the scenarios are I think that drafters are going to be more comfortable taking him at that range next year, where you can still actually get him sliding around into the third round this year. Both of those guys have big numbers. Joe Burrow sort of consolidates the second half of the season. So I don't think that one is is too tricky at all. Even if Jamar Chase were to get hurt and not have the season that you and I are projecting, uh, unless there's some very unfortunate situation in which Chase is not 100 for 2023 then it's difficult to take, take t higgins too much earlier but it's also difficult to take him too much later so i guess i i feel comfortable with that a I situation
1: completely. i i agree completely you, you said that perfectly
2: a situation that could be similar ben is there in yeah. buffalo
1: i have gabriel davis two spots below yeah. Stephon diggs that's what i was just going to highlight that's the that's the really fun part for you is for your rankings, here is you have Stefan Diggs at 209. You have Gabriel Davis at 211. I love that. I definitely gave Davis a long consideration. I ultimately think Diggs is so good, but there's also some just age related stuff where he's going to be a year older. I do have him obviously falling quite a bit from this year to next, even though I, I love him and have made the case for his upside being high enough to match the top three receivers, something we talked about. In our, I, I think, way back in our wide receiver episodes in early June, maybe, where you you felt like at the end of the first round, those r- receivers maybe don't have the upside to catch those top three. It is an interesting thought point when you have those late first round draft selections. For you, though, you're, you're having Gabe Davis. I mean, he's the younger one, and you still have Diggs higher. So you're saying Diggs is probably going to be more productive this year, if I'm reading into this correctly. But you have Davis being so good that now we have two Bills receivers in the in the late second round.
2: And partly this offense and Josh Allen, I mean, almost makes it difficult for them to go much below that if they have the kind of season that we're expecting. I mean, the fact that Gabriel Davis is being drafted in the fourth round this year, I mean, more or less just presupposes that. I mean, he's got to be in the second round next year. If he comes through with the fourth round value this year, you're going to have that jump because it confirms sort of what we're looking at. Everybody is on Gabe Davis, and so my ranking of him there is not unique, but I do think that his overall profile is fantastic. And this is one of those situations where the team just messed up and so while he's not going to have that playoff game versus kansas city every week you're going to have some big games you're going to have some solid games one of the a little bit below the radar stories from last year is that josh allen's accuracy dropped off a little bit again and i almost think that gabriel davis is not as sensitive to that as stefan Diggs, one of the things that we didn't get from Diggs last year was quite as many of the underneath completions and quite as much of the run after catch dynamism some of those things are more difficult if your quarterback is not hitting you where you can run appropriately after the catch but when you're hitting a guy for a 70 yard touchdown because he's clear of the defense then i mean again you can miss those throws too tyree kill was constantly complaining about patrick mahomes missing him deep last year and if patrick mahomes can miss you then anybody can miss you but I mean, Gabriel Davis, with that size, with his ascending physicality, I mean, he's still super young too. I mean, he's one of these guys who came into the NFL, you know, in that not quite as young as Juju Smith-Schuster, but in that sort of Chris Godwin-ish range where I mean, people are thinking of him as actually a slower build than what he's actually having, especially for someone who was picked where he was and, and he should have been picked higher. So, I mean, when we think about some of these guys that you and I are really excited about, like Romeo Dubs and then players like Jalen Tolbert that everybody is excited about, certainly players like you know Sky Moore and George Pickens. But, I mean, this is where Dubs and Tolbert you know, could be in a couple of years. The fact that we're thinking they could do it this year is
1: probably less realistic. Yeah, you got a kick out of me putting Romeo Dubs in my near misses. And I said to you, look, all he's got to be is Aaron Rodgers' number one receiver by the end of the year, and I'll take him in the second round next year. I think you said that all really well on the Bills. One really interesting thing about, as you were saying, that I was kind of looking back at your full first two rounds. You talked about on the first episode, we haven't talked about here on the second episode, is how you have a lot more running backs early you started your second round with J.K. Dobbins at 202 and Austin Eckler at 203. So in your top 15 picks, you have nine running backs. Your entire rest of the second round is wide receivers from 204 through to the 212. Nine more picks. All are wide receivers. Diggs and Gabe Davis there at 209 and 211. You have Devonta Adams at 210. Probably doesn't need too much explanation. We don't think I, – I have him at 212 or my co-212 because I had, I had actually – accidentally left out CeeDee Liam. You caught that right before the show, and I didn't want to drop my my other 212 out of my ranking, so I, I did a co-212 that includes Devontae Adams, who had previously been 211 when I didn't have CeeDee Liam even in my ranks. But you have Diggs, Adams, Gabe Davis, and then Jerry Judy as your last player. I have Diggs, a running back, but that is my only running back after J.K. Dobbins who again, you had a two Oh two and ETN is the other one that I had in the second round at two Oh three, you had him in the first round. So similar on, on the running backs that we have and, and having them in those first, in the first round, and the first part of the second round, you had Eckler. I, I mentioned not dropping him all the way out. The running back that I have at 210 is Najee Harris. You had dropped him all the way out, probably surprising to many going into year two, still some optimism I think you have to be very concerned about the offensive line. I think you have to be concerned about the offense. I think you have to be concerned about the lack of explosive plays, either in the running game or in the passing game last year. Massive volume. Finishes as the RB3 as a rookie. And yet had 17.7 points per game, which isn't really that great, (laughs) frankly. I mean, I think it's hard to draft Najee Harris this year at his price. When we're talking about legendary upside being 25 points per game, at least 22 or 23 that you need out of an elite running back. Again, he was the RB3 last year, but that's because he played 17 games and he got 380 touches. 17.7 points per game doesn't really get you there. I put him at 210 because I think he has a good enough year this year, again on volume, that people are still sort of talking themselves into him in the late second. You have him all the way out. What do you see for Najee Harris in, in 2022? I actually think he's going to
2: have a a pretty good year, but again, that kind of year that reinforces these same narratives where the upside probably isn't there. And, you know, do you feel comfortable paying at that level? The same kind of thing we talked about with Austin Eckler, where Eckler could have a committee in 2023. I think that Najee Harris is someone who makes more sense to kind of have the backup that Javante Williams is stuck with than Williams does, for example. And if you add that in for 2023, then I think he could be a third or fourth round pick. I don't think that there's any reason why Harris would need to be drafted way ahead of where we're seeing guys like Travis Etienne and Cam Akers go this year, for example, it's not to say this guy is toast. Although, I mean, there is some Trent Richardson concern here as well, where it's just, the overall explosiveness is not at the level that really helps a team. Now, again, I'm not saying that I think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be like a third round pick next year. And I think probably a solid third round pick. Somebody who, you know, because once we get into the dead zone-ish area, some running backs are actually getting dropped to prices that that you kind of like. I could see him being a, a good pick in 2023, but I think that the evolving ways that fantasy drafters are looking at running backs and looking at drafting in the first two or three rounds could work against him one of the things that we're seeing this year is that the pass catching backs are really being favored I don't know that he's going to get as much of a boost from that especially if George Pickens is as good as it looks like especially if Pat Friermuth takes the next step Those guys are not running the same routes. They're not doing the same kinds of things, but when you look at how the passing offense could work, the design could benefit the receivers, the tight ends a little bit more than the running backs. One of the things here is just that still, I mean, they're the very good floor for Najee Harris because the Steelers don't really have other backs that they can use. Anthony McFarland looked good in the first preseason game he's never really been somebody they were really to rely on in the regular season they do have an undrafted player who has been making noise in camp it looks like he could be
1: the backup so is that Mateo Durant uh Jalen Warren oh Jalen Warren right Durant was a name from earlier in the offseason
2: so we have some players who could factor into this backfield a little bit but it's still going to be Najee Harris I just think that he actually needs a good season this year, like a a dynamic season, a a talent-based season to maintain himself in the first two rounds. Or else he's a
1: 2023 dead zone running back.
2: Yeah, I mean, you don't don't want to get yourself stuck there with Elijah Mitchell and Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson illustrates what happens. You get in the dead zone, and
1: even your real-life coach knows, and then you fumble, and you're done. You're done. Najee Harris, 2023 dead zone running back. I actually kind of like that take even though I had him at 210 here. But, yeah, he was the last running back that made it in for me. I had nine total running backs as well in this exercise, six in the first round, two more in the first five picks of the second, and I snuck Harris in. But we have that same similar dynamic that we're talking about. But going back to the receivers, after Higgins and Diggs, who we both have at 208-209, you finish Adams, Gabe Davis, and Judy. After Higgins and Diggs for me, it's Najee Harris – Cortland Sutton instead of Judy. And then my co two twelves that I referenced were Devonte Adams. And I, I I had Mike Williams in there. He's the one I didn't want to drop out. Probably makes sense to drop him out the case for him. Fairly, fairly straightforward, right? We've talked this off season about him and Keenan Allen. He's the guy that I think unlocks the big season for Herbert. If you're going to stack up Herbert, I think you want to stack him with Mike Williams He's got the contract now that he'll be he'll be there with the Chargers, with Herbert. Keenan and Allen's yards per target type metrics, his targets per run started to fall a little bit. I think we just see some more of that. I do think the Chargers probably add another receiver next year. So it might be the case that Williams is not actually viewed this highly, even if he has a big year. Maybe they go get a first-round receiver next season. That wouldn't surprise me very much if Keenan Allen does fall off a little. But that's the thought on Williams – more interesting one to close out our second round is these two Broncos receivers. I have Cortland Sutton two eleven. You have Judy two twelve. We both obviously are seeing some positives from the Broncos team. We were very excited about Javante Williams in our round one show. The market agrees with me here, Sean. The market thinks that Cortland Sutton is the guy for for Russell Wilson's skill set, his extended plays, his deep throws. I don't think there's a lot that I need to do to explain courtland sutton at 211 that's not already explained by adp and a lot of the work being done looking at 2022 the far more interesting discussion is you having judy here not having sutton here what happens in 2022 that makes jerry judy the 212 next year this is a little bit of
2: a gamble on how i think the Upside seasons from these two players would be perceived. Now, one of the things that you note with Mike Williams, I agree completely. He's one of my first players out. The issue that he could have is that he's a little bit of the opposite of, say, a Chris Godwin, where he's actually a little bit older than people might realize. And, you know, once you start to have that big season and there's more attention, you know, people are going to ask, you know, can we go right back to the well if he's in this particular age range? maybe that'll hurt him maybe it won't he does have a chance to have the big season with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy I think that the odds are the Cortland Sutton is the higher scorer here you read a little bit what the Broncos beat writers are saying they seem to be in agreement that when Russell Wilson needs to complete a pass that Cortland Sutton is the guy There has been this sense that Jerry Judy again is flashing as this incredible route runner, but it's not necessarily translating into the kind of practice production that they would like to see, you know, it doesn't really matter how good your routes are. If you aren't producing, you're not producing. And that could be an issue with Russell Wilson, where maybe he's not the kind of quarterback who benefits from the really sharp routes as much as he benefits from someone who really gives you that vertical upside now one of the things that's interesting with judy is he actually was an air yards superstar as a rookie just none of the passes were complete and so i I think there's the potential for him to be a little bit more of a deep threat than is being priced in kj hamler is a threat to either of these guys depending on how the offense really develops and if he can be healthy i mean they my understanding is that they took him off pup but are still not practicing him with the full group And so, you know, if you're drafting a lot of Hamler, you're not necessarily liking to hear that. And yet, you know, they're targeting week one. He's a threat to both players. I think that the way that this offense works out most likely is that Sutton is the guy who scores the most points, that Judy has a solid season, that Hamler has some big plays, and that we go into 2023 with still questions about, you know, who's the starting tight end? and how are the receivers going to do in year two with russell wilson but if it flips and judy is the better of the two players or outproduces sutton i think that that because of the difference in where they were drafted the difference in how recently they've been seriously injured and that probably shouldn't be a big a big piece of the puzzle for sutton at this point but still something that people are aware of and the different ages and then how people see that potentially manifesting in 2023 that Judy just has to have the same kind of season that we're sort of thinking for Sutton to be a clear cut second round pick. I think that if Sutton leads the team, but doesn't blow everybody away then he more or less gets drafted in the same spot that he is this year, maybe moves up five or six picks. That makes a lot of
1: sense. That was a great summation. I think you're right. I think you made a great case there. If Judy is the one that outperforms, he's probably easier to see in the second round. So that does it, John. We, we recapped the whole first round at the end of last week's – or the the previous show. The whole first round here for you was Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, Austin Eckler, Drake London, Jalen Waddell, and Devo Samuel in the top half. Starting the bottom half of the second round, A.J. Brown, a clear first-round player. T. Higgins, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Gabe Davis, and Jerry Judy. For me, it was Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Travis Etienne, who was in your first round. Jalen Waddle, J.K. Dobbins, and D.J. Moore. In the first half and in the back half, Chris Godwin, T. Higgins, Stephon Diggs, Najee Harris, Cortland Sutton, and then my co-212s, Devontae Adams and Mike Williams. The near misses are pretty interesting, Sean. I, I wrote down quite a few more than you, but I had Traylon Burks. I had Drake London, Sky Moore. I had Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. Basically just throwing a bunch of these rookie receivers there. And, and I, I think you described very well in this show why we should be viewing London probably more favorably. And I probably should have had him not on my near misses, but in my second round. I also threw Romeo Dubs in there kind of for the the giggles. Ken Walker. I threw on there if, if he has this big breakout year. I thought I might see him on your near, near misses, but you could see his profile playing up if he looks like the Seattle starting running back next year and, and has a very strong year. Rashad White, I threw on there. Look, Leonard Fournette's contract, pretty strong through next year. But if he does get hurt, I think Rashad White could have such a big season this year that we might be talking about him as a second rounder next year. My veterans were Deontay Johnson and A.J. Dillon. Again, the, the conversation about Aaron Jones' age, Maybe A.J. Dillon just looks like the guy for them next year. Why don't you talk about your near misses?
2: I have D.J. Moore. I think that the ceiling is just still not where we need it in a Baker Mayfield offense. And, you know, they could have another new quarterback and a new coaching staff next year. But for all the reasons that you described and that we both completely buy into, I mean, at the very worst, he's got to be a near miss. I mean, he's an elite talent at Traylon Burks, Elijah Moore, Cam Akers, Akers, I, I mean, I understand where he's, why he's going, where he's going. I would have him a couple spots earlier, just because I think that you can get an advantage and, and a, a meaningful one. Structurally, if you hit on a dead zone running back and he produces similar to those top guys, I mean, you can put some of those receivers in there. I think the receivers where he's going are pretty weak, but I I understand where he's going. I don't think that his situation has actually changed that much from where he was a one, two turn player last year. Now I'm most listening to be like, what are you talking about? He had a really serious injury. I think that there's reason to believe that because he came back so quickly, you're getting the both parts of it, right? Number one, you're getting the sense that he actually recovered very nicely. And number two, you're getting a discount because he did not play well during a stretch where you should have assumed he wouldn't play well. Ah, but but again running backs are are very risky there could certainly be wrong and then Rashad Bateman Rashad Bateman he did not do what we were hoping as a rookie he did deal with some injuries last season and injuries knock down the efficiency level for all players it's going to be additionally difficult for rookies and for players who are playing with backup quarterbacks and so a variety of reasons why maybe he didn't Flash the talent that we were looking for, for the, for the same reasons that I think Mark Andrews is a better pick than he's being given credit for this year. I think that Rashad Bateman is an absolute must draft at his ADP, and if he has the kind of season that you know is almost dictated by the volume and the lack of other players in that passing game, then the two-three turn is going to be in play for him
1: next year. You have him as a must draft ahead of Elijah Moore, ahead of, see, I, I still think ahead of Devonta Smith, ahead of Amon Ross, St. Brown. I still think he's too pricey among the year two receivers.
2: I think the talent level is there. And I mean, you know that you and I believe that that is going to drive the volume as opposed to the context being the number one thing that drives the volume. It's not that we ignore the context and, and, not completely ignoring the context or what I see as potentially being the context is why I guess I, I just think that his floor is so high because I don't really see any scenarios in which he has a Garrett Wilson that takes him out or that he has a, in just like the, the contrast between those two offenses too, is I think that the, you know, the Ravens are going to be much more effective. The Jets, you say maybe it's just two. Well, you made a good argument about Corey Davis and and can the Jets even do two players I mean that is a question there where I don't think it is really for the Ravens Amon Ra man he's a must draft as well but DJ Chark TJ Hawkinson DeAndre Swift you know and, and one of the things that I think is unfortunate at this point is that it doesn't really look like Jamison Williams is draftable he's not really draftable in best ball because you can't burn the roster spot I mean, if if you're playing for the million dollars and you feel like you've drafted the perfect team, maybe, you know, you take that late round plunge and just say, I can make it all the way through to where I need to be. Uh, But he's also tough in redraft because in redraft, you need the the roster slot flexibility to churn, right? So it's frustrating that he may not be draftable and yet he could hit Amon Ra exactly when you need Amon Ra to play the biggest. And
1: so... agree with all that. That's a good point. I I have Williams at wide receiver 64. I just pulled up my list. Very, I mean, that's lower than he's going. I haven't found like David Bell, but uh, I'm right there with you. I think he's a a really tough pick in any type of redraft format. Obviously somebody we're excited about in dynasty or or best ball, but yeah, that's a good point about Aminra where he can then still come back and be a problem at at the end in in, in the fantasy playoffs for Ra's production. Yeah. Interesting one. You also had Mike Williams on there, which you mentioned dropping out of this year's first round. I had dropping out of this year's first round out of our top 24 for next year. I had Derek Henry and Austin Eckler. You had Travis Kelsey, Henry, and Najee Harris dropping out of this year's second round. Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Tyreek Hill, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Mike Evans, both of us Uh, identical on that list. And then I also had uh, Debo Samuel dropping out of my second round. Any thoughts?
2: I think that some of those players are going to still be in. As you mentioned in the intro to the first show, we projected some very talented veterans dropping out of the first round. And in some cases, the first two rounds for this year. And we're wrong about that. We'll be wrong about some of these names. I think that Derek Henry is actually pretty interesting when he falls into the mid second. And depending on where you're drafting, you may be thinking, well, you know, that doesn't happen, but we've certainly seen that in some drafts and I would consider him there. I, I think that this year, one of the things you're actually getting is the opposite of what we have seen, which is that some of the run oriented running backs are actually a little bit undervalued when you look at what their overall EP profiles are going to be. And so. I think that you could win there but derrick henry for me is similar to tyreek i mean is similar to travis kelsey where he's going to have to absolutely crush to not have a similar fall but even greater than what he did this year going from 105 to you know the turn you know next year you're going in round three maybe you're going in that ezekiel elliott range but i do like him i do like dalvin cook and alvin Kamara for this year too but they were not nearly as efficient last season. They do have some off-the-field stuff that off-the-field stuff could end up hitting them in 2023. But in a similar way, I think that they're probably early third-round picks next year as opposed to clear-cut top-two-round guys. And one of the things, too, and this is a little bit of the dynamic with Elliot. after you fall out of those first two rounds, the dead zone can really punish you because people don't want to tie themselves to what they perceive as a lack of upside. In rounds three through five so those backs could hang in the mid-second but there's a lot of threat for them to become much much later is that yeah the way that it's gonna it? be
1: really interesting this group of henry you know eckler if you throw him in there cook camara aaron jones mixon some of those guys are going to be fifth round picks six round picks next year absolutely it's gonna be interesting to see that class of you know already 27-year-old running backs as they age into next year and, and the year after. Um, probably some of those guys are not going to be in the NFL in a couple of years. Is, is the other element of it as well. You're right that we're going to be wrong on a couple of them, but there's this big class of players that's going in the first couple of rounds at, at a running back position where there's some risk there. But this was fun, Sean. This was fun. I think we had a good, uh, good couple shows breaking down how we see things in 2023. I think the, the real interesting takeaway was how similar our positional distributions were, how we think this new group of running backs will be more heavily in the late first round next year. You're going to have non-running backs in the top five, especially in tight end premium. And then the second round where there might not be a lot of running backs either. Maybe that's where we see some of those rookies that you alluded to earlier as well. If they, You know, they might. I think on the first show, you alluded to them potentially being in contention for late first-round draft slots, but we might see some of them in the late second. There will certainly be running backs that fill these spots. That's part of why I was talking about the Ken Walkers or the Rashad Whites or the AJ Dillons. Somebody's going to have that year, I think, at running back where drafters are willing to take them in the top twenty-four. As we sit here now, I mean, it doesn't look like there are a lot of running backs that we feel good as this other older cohort ages out a little bit that we feel good will be top two round picks next year. There are a lot of receivers. There's a lot of fun, young receivers, passing games getting a little bit more deep, a little more spread out. You had two Bills. We both had two Bengals. We both, uh, excuse me, you had two Falcons with Pitts and London in your top 24. A lot of, you know, we we had two different Broncos. A lot of passing games that could potentially support multiple players in this range. Yeah, fun exercise. Definitely was one we were looking forward to all year. Uh, I enjoyed it. Quick final
2: hot take question. If we have a third slash fourth tight end jump into the first two rounds because of the importance of the tight end, is it TJ Hawkinson or is it Albert o?
1: It's Pat Freyman.
2: Very nice. Very nice. We'll leave it there. That has been stealing bananas for today. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for stealing signals. Make sure you sign up for stealing lines. I know a lot of people are really excited about that, being able to get the alerts on the different props and the prices there. We'd love to have you over at roto You can join us and even get 10% off using the coupon code Radio 2022 at checkout. We're making a big push for record numbers on the channel this year. So if you want to leave us a rating and review and help us out there, or share on social media, we always appreciate that. Ben and I will be back with you soon. Until then, draft a bunch, bunch more. We'll talk to you.